You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 49 of You Play A What? I hope all of you are well. My apologies for the late release this week. Just when I thought I had everything figured out to complete my work, I realised how much of an idiot I am to leave my laptop charger at home during my staycation. I almost couldn't make it through the two hours of teaching I had to do. Maybe it's a sign that you shouldn't be thinking about your work if you are taking the day out to relax. Yeah, just to clear some doubts in case you're wondering what sort of staycation I'm having if I still have to teach and work. I actually have a few hours before the fiancé shows up, so I thought I should be more productive. And obviously, that panned out really well for me. I absolutely did not end up watching a bunch of TV. But I'm here and I'm rather excited about this week's episode. Just a heads up, I'm not paid to promote this course or what I'm about to say. It's simply something that I thought is of great value and I wanted to share with all of you who are listening to the podcast. So I'm on the verge of completing the Freelancers Workshop, which is part of the Akimbo Workshops founded by Seth Godin. Seth also runs his own podcast by the same name and I would really encourage all of you to check it out because it's thoughtful, it's thought-provoking and it's really quite brilliant. It's spelled A-K-I-M-B-O, Akimbo. So you can find it on Spotify or all other places that you listen to podcasts. Really, really great stuff. The Akimbo workshops offer a bunch of different workshops. Their most popular being their Out MBA. There's also Creative Workshop, Storytelling Workshop, Podcasting, Bootstrappers and so on. You can check that out. I signed up for the Freelancers Workshop and I'm here to share with you some takeaways that has deeply resonated with me throughout the course. Like I said, I have not completed the course. I'm left with three more lessons and three more prompts. There will be no more lessons posted from here onwards and I'm looking to finish this up over the remaining of the week. Each lesson, you get some prompts to type and distill your thoughts about your work, think deeply about the questions posted to you and at the same time, encourage to type freely with whatever that comes to your mind. It has really helped me work out what is holding me back with the work that I'm doing and what I wanted to do, learn about the work that other freelancers are doing and the struggles that everybody is facing. There is basically a lot of typing followed by reading, commenting and asking questions on what others have shared. Imagine it like a forum where people can respond to what you have shared in the particular topic. Participants are generally quite empathetic and yet unafraid to ask difficult questions for you to look deeper as to what is holding you back and why we have this unnecessary noise in our head that is holding us back and not allowing us to do the work that we do. Often in this course, we are asked this simple yet powerful question and that is, how did you feel when you are typing this? Uh, And there's so much to unpack because a lot of times... um, really vivid memories 
and emotions will surface as I start to type something. And sometimes you would think that a particular incident or particular thing that you're you are typing will trigger some kind of emotional response and it doesn't. So it really helped me kind of understand what is the real underlining uh, problem and issues that is really holding me back and not allowing me to do the work. As uh, Stephen Pressfield says in his book, The War of Art, it's what he deems as the resistance this force that is stopping us, this defense mechanism or whatever it is that is stopping us to do the work that really matters and what we want to do. Uh, in this course, I met people from all walks of life, from freelance attorney, financial planner, jazz musician or jazz singer turned public speaking coach, a combo band musician slash sound engineer, alternative healing coaches, writers, artists, children book authors, and the list really goes on. One particular story that struck me quite deeply was this children book author based in Rotterdam. She was looking for a birthday gift for her three-year-old son last year and she thought that she would write a book for him and have his son as the main character of the story. She went on to share her struggles dealing with motherhood and work and felt that she was failing on all fronts and was on the verge of giving up a couple of years ago when the son was still a toddler. Uh, one example she shared was how her son was always holding onto her legs and trying to climb up her legs when she was working in the kitchen. And after speaking to a friend who made her realize that from the child's perspective, everything is new and seeing what his mother was doing in the kitchen was like a new adventure to him. So from then on, she shifted her mindset and thinking and she created what she called the leaning towel, which is basically a stool that her son could climb on and that allows him to be able to work together with her in the kitchen. The book documented the child's growth from a toddler crawling on the floor to an independent boy. A really wonderful version of a typical hero's journey format. The book also included all the close relatives who were unable to celebrate his birthday with him due to the pandemic. And of course, the illustration is absolutely beautiful. There's this sort of uh, slight Japanese aesthetic to it. She now provides her services as a children's book author, creating children's book for parents. I somehow got really emotional reading this story. And I find it really inspiring how she manages to change this project into something bigger than herself and her son. Uh, this also made me change my perspective on fiction books and the profound impact it can have on one's life. So if any of you listening know of any cool fiction novels, please let me know. I would really like to get into them. I must say that I have read probably less than five fiction novels since turning 21. So I'm really quite out of depth here. So if any of you got any cool recommendations, please shoot them my way and then I will try to get into them. Now, before I get into the response that I received during the entire course, uh, I just want to share why I decided to sign up for the freelancers course. So some of my close friends would know that for quite a period of time, I have felt stuck and not exactly 
happy with the work that I'm doing. Uh, parts of it, not all of it, of course. And I know that I've only been back in Singapore for a relatively short amount of time. In fact, come July 15th, it'll be my third year back in Singapore since returning from the UK. So over time, I have felt that the work that I was doing is not an accurate representation of who I am as a person. So when I ask myself this question, if I'm going to continue doing the work that I do now for the next 10 years, it became very obvious that the answer is no, that I would, if given a choice, I would not be doing what I'm doing uh, for an extended period of time in my career. I would like to move on to something else. But what is holding me back and why am I not doing that? And I'm, I'm just curious to, to get some answers and to hear what other freelancers think about some of the problems and some of the struggles that I've been facing. So now uh, let's talk a little bit about the response that I received. So obviously I shared with everybody some of the struggles that I'm facing. And I think what was really helpful was how everyone, uh, including the coaches as well as the participants, helped me dig deeper into why I was feeling this way. So uh, I would just like to name three things that came out that was very kind of... Uh, prominent and then I end up feeling that as the the course went on I was circling back to like the same fundamental issues so and uh, number one it is the toxic relationship with a former teacher I had uh, during my time in the conservatory so I thought that I have worked through this that I have moved on from that but I think really such negative experience have very deep and profound impact on how we perceive the work that we do. I think it's very easy for me now to think that a lot of what I do is perhaps not good enough. Uh, so it's not worth sharing on platforms or public platforms like YouTube. So because of that, there is a lot of defense mechanism being put in place to, to guard myself because I don't want to be exposed to such um, uh, negative criticisms and basically it's been ingrained in me as well that you're pretty much not good enough for anything so uh, very easy for me to have this idea that you know who the hell am I to be sharing this who the hell am I to have a voice who, who the hell am I to be uh, posting videos and showing people that oh this is my playing and this is my uh, my work that I like to share with the world right part two uh, it's the same thing that came up a couple of times that is I'm part of a bidding system that treats the services that I provide as a commodity so how we deem my service is a commodity is that we differentiate it purely by price but and not by who is offering the service a big part of my work revolves around the public and the government bidding system, which gives huge advantage and priority to the lowest bid. So as long as you are the lowest bid and you meet the specs, basically you get a job. Uh, if you want to pick a more expensive option, then there's a lot of work involved in the back end by the teachers to justify why we have to go with so-and-so person instead of this person who is cheaper, which, to be honest, nobody liked to do work like that. 
you know, just to justify why we should hire somebody <laughs> and not the other person. So being part of the this particular bidding system surely doesn't help. And then number three is the lack of transparency in payment. It has happened to me where employers take 10% to 15% of my rate. I think this is very different from the music school format. When you are a music teacher in a music school, obviously you are not paid the full sum that the student is paying to the music school. But what in return the music school offers you is uh, a potentially huge clientele of a lot of students, uh, lots of working hours and the resources to conduct your lessons a studio, a nice conducive environment and a nice central location. And also there's not so much traveling time. You don't have to rush from student A's home to student B's home and things like that and worry about traffic. So for the work that I do, it's a little bit different in a way that we are being approached by companies and asked if we are able to take on a particular uh, gig or a particular teaching job and... After that, we are being told that, oh, this is the regularity of it or how many hours there are in a year. We then take on the job, we go and teach, and then we are paid by the company at the end of each month based on the number of hours we work. Obviously, the, the rate has been agreed beforehand when you accept the job, but also the, the company is using your CV and your qualifications to get the particular uh, opening or the particular bid, right? So there, there is some value that you are providing. You're not just a teacher. I think in a way, you sort of like bulk up the, the trust and the credibility of the entire team. And I am not against companies having the need to charge an administrative fee because they do uh, a bulk of the job to just help us secure the gig and process the payment and things like that. And I think there is a fair amount for that. And it, whatever that amount that the company deem is fair should be communicated to the tutors who are hired. And then you let them decide and you have the conversation between the parties to see whether they are agreeable to such terms. I have known some colleagues to have found out that they are being charged 30% lesser compared to what the school is paying the company. I mean, 30% is just absolutely ridiculous, right? Think about this, okay? If the company is pocketing this amount of money, but from just one tutor, imagine like the entire team, how much they're making. And I think this lack of transparency is really disturbing to me. And I really can't see much people saying yes to a 30% quote-unquote commission. If, you, if the companies are clear, uh, are being transparent and then you approach the tutors and say that, oh, I'm paying you X amount, but that is only 70% of the entire uh, sum that the school is paying my company. Are you okay with that? And if they say yes, then sure, you know, go ahead. And then there, there will be no uh, conversation after that about the payment process. But oftentimes companies don't do that. And I'm might be wrong, but I really can't see much people saying yes to a 30% commission just like that. Okay, so uh, moving away from this uh, <laughs> uh, rent, 
and what are some of the problems that I'm facing that is really making me feel like whatever I'm doing is not quite reflective of who I am. And uh, now we move on to some of the, the takeaways that I receive during the workshop. So I have with me five points that I would like to share. And number one is something that I've already said before, particularly in the uh, $4 haircut versus $70 haircut episode a couple of months ago, that is to avoid the race to the bottom. I think this is so important and it's such a, a simple concept. Do not think that you have to be the cheapest option. I think you only have to be the cheapest option when you have nothing to offer that would allow you to separate yourself out from the rest of your competition and the rest of the people that are doing the same sort of scope of work as you. Okay, so when you see yourself as interchangeable, that is the, the problem. So racing to the bottom is definitely, definitely not the way to go. Although, like I said, I'm in a system whereby they award or they give priority to someone that is willing to come in to offer a service at a cheaper price, I don't think we should kill off our own industry like this. Let's work towards raising to the top rather than raising to the bottom, right? Let's talk about what we can offer. Let's talk about a good price. Let's talk about a good rate that we can all agree to. Uh, might be a long way to go, but I think this is definitely something that we need to think about. Even in our own private teaching, I don't think that you should or teachers should be thinking that you should hire me because I'm cheaper. You know, the conversation with the parents, it's, it's difficult, right? Because then if they hire you because you are cheaper, chances are if a younger or a cheaper option comes up, what is stopping them from switching from them to you? You know, if the question is always about price and how much we are charging. Um, there's this also new concept, uh, this concept that I've learned in this course, which is the different levels of freelancers and how we should aim to try to level up. So let me just go through with you the five levels of freelancers. Number one is the assembly line. Number two is the handy person. Number three, craftsman. Number four, unique. And number five, remarkable. So let's talk about assembly line. Okay, at this level, this is where all the race to the bottom is happening. This is where people just need the cheapest option. This is where people will go to Fiverr and look for a freelancer and just select whoever that's cheaper. So an, a good example is if you have one particular picture or photo that needs touching up. You have set yourself a budget of $10 to get the photo touched up. You go onto Fiverr, right? You see that somebody is doing it for $7. You would go for that, that deal, right? Why would you offer that person $10 when they are charging you $7 for it? I, I don't think people who are listening to this podcast, I don't think musicians in general are at this assembly line level. I think it would be really quite depressing if we are <laughs> at that level. Okay, so uh, moving on is the handy person. The handy person is someone that dominates in a particular area or a district, someone that comes in and solves the problem 
and they are hired because they are in the area and they are available. So for example, handy person could be a babysitter that is working around a particular neighborhood. So of course, this is much more, uh, the, the idea of babysitting is much more common in Western cultures or particularly in the US. So think about uh, uh, your typical sort of uh, US suburbs neighborhood, right? Within a particular radius, perhaps you are the only babysitter in that area and you have about maybe 20 uh, clients. That's enough for you to have a pretty good life, but you're not able to scale after that because that's all you're going to do, right? You only have that 20 families and that's it. That's your, that's your limit, right? There's, there's no more potential for growth anymore. So the next level is craftsmen. So I think this is where most of the musicians are. Uh, craftsmen are basically people who have developed a skill and then you are selling this particular skill to your clients. You have taken time to learn about it. You have taken time to master. Of course, in terms of music, uh, the word mastery is ever so elusive, right? We wouldn't or we wouldn't normally say that we have mastered playing the music. But you get what I mean, that you have a particular skill set that you have been developing over a long period of time and people hire you to do that. So for example, people hire you to play a gig in the hotel lobby. People hire you to do teaching. People hire you to do a solo performance. Things like that and gigs like that comes from you having a particular skill and then the hirer sees that you have this skill, so they'll hire you. Okay. The next two levels are where it gets really quite difficult to, to reach and very, very challenging. I think particularly from being a craftsman to being unique. So the, the next level, unique. Um, unique is basically having a own your own particular style, having your own particular way of doing things, your own touch to your work that separates you from everybody else. So when you reach the bracket of unique, this is where people start to mention you by your name rather than, oh, I need a euphonium player. Who can I get? But people would start to think that, oh, I want to hire so-and-so rather than I want to hire just a euphonium player. Can you give me some names? So it's a huge step and it requires a lot of emotional labor. It requires a lot of uh, determination, a lot of grit, to turn away things, to say yes to things that are only reflective of who you are as a person and as an artist. I think that's so important. If we start saying yes to everything, uh, it actually doesn't make us that special and that unique. Okay, So it's really about dialing down and finding that, that niche and who you are serving. And then the next level, which is the highest level of being a freelancer is being remarkable. Remarkable means that people have to talk about the work that you're doing, right? Your work is so good. It's so remarkable that people will make remarks on it. People will talk about it. People will share it and it will grow organically because it is that good and that interesting. So these are basically the five levels of freelancer. So, uh, Perhaps if you're listening and you're interested about this concept, take some time to just figure out what are the pros and cons of each of this level. 
and where are you now and where would you like to be? It doesn't mean that you have to always like, although Remarkable is the highest level of free, uh, freelancing, not everybody would strive to be Remarkable. Sometimes people like to be stay at the level of being a, a craftsman and that's absolutely fine. Okay, but just some uh, hopefully thought-provoking pro- ideas to share with you guys to think about the work that we do. Uh, the, and the third point is my shift in the way I think about outsourcing. So this is really quite interesting because one of the, the prompts made us list out what are the things that are that has to be done by me that absolutely has to be done by me and what are the things that are that my clients would not care if I had outsourced it to somebody else to do and i have always seen outsourcing as a as something that's very lucrative right <laughs> maybe it's because i'm a, a freelancer myself but i always see like outsourcing like for example like website design social media presence uh, marketing of your own products and services i always thought that we have to be as hands-on as possible and uh, we have to just do all these things because unless it's taking up so much of our time that we have absolutely no time to do it anymore then we would look to outsource this work to other people But actually, that is a very poor mindset to have and it will just really distract you from the things that are really, truly important. So for example, the work that I do, playing the instrument, that's obviously something that has to be done by me. The act of teaching absolutely has to be done by me. Speaking into this microphone to create this podcast has to be done by me. But everything else apart from that doesn't actually have to be done by me. In fact, nobody cares if I design the logo of the podcast by myself. Nobody cares if I'm designing the album art of each episode by myself. Nobody cares if I typed out every single crotchet on a warm-up exercise that I created for a student. There are things that we can let other people do to take off some of the cognitive load. And one of the really fantastic advice I received in the course is that outsource your task because somebody else can do it better than you, right? You don't outsource your task because you need to or you have to, but you outsource it outsource it simply because somebody can do it better than you. And it it really made me think because in terms of music, I have absolutely no problem outsourcing my work to a composer because if I want to have a new project, if I want some new repertoire written for me, I wouldn't do it myself because I know that I do not have the expertise to execute uh, a good quality performance. I will not be able to realize what I have in my mind or I simply do not have such a great idea and technique when it comes to manipulating a composition or coming up with a composition. And I will have no problem telling myself, oh, I have to get a composer involved in this process. But yet at the same time, when it comes to creating a website or starting or editing a video for YouTube, we tend to want to cling on to all these things. And realistically speaking, would I have a higher chance of being a decent composer 
or would I have a higher chance of being a decent web developer? I think that <laughs> I think the, the answer is quite obvious. Is that definitely if I stay in the musical line, I would have more success there than to do work that I have absolutely no clue about. And I think uh, it, it really depends on, let's take website, for example. There are certain things that you can do for yourself. If your website is purely promotional, sure, you can do a very pretty website and very beautiful website. But if you're thinking about starting a commerce store, when you're talking about attracting people, when you're talking about marketing this website, when you're talking about driving traffic in so that people will sign up for things, it's a different conversation altogether. It's much better I think and it's much easier for you and for whoever that's listening to engage somebody to take this load away from you. It comes at a price, of course, right? But then again, us as freelancers, we are being hired to teach an instrument. And how many times have we thought to ourselves that ah, so and so student, if only they can uh, have some private lessons they will be so much better they will go so much further and things like that but oftentimes that don't quite happen and for us it's the same thing if you want a beautiful website but we insist on not paying the right amount of money to another freelancer to do it then we have uh, hit a, a particular weird contradiction and roadblock I think number four identifying who are the people you are seeking to serve. Therefore, also lets you know who, what, who are the type of clients that you will not want to work with. I think this is very, very important because it's just not possible for us to be the right person for all sorts of clients. I think we will end up serving a particular type of client, client that appreciate us and what we bring to the table, the clients that would also push us to do better work. Uh, when, when I was doing this prom, one particular uh, incident came to my mind and I almost forgot about this. So this was, I think, just as I returned from the UK, this was 2018. On the 24th of uh, December, I got an email from this uh, events company writing to me saying that they would like to hire a minimum four-piece brush group on New Year's Eve. So they've gotten in touch with me one week in advance for a gig that is happening in a week's time. So we all know that New Year's Eve is a particularly difficult period and busy period for musicians in Singapore. We've got all the, the concerts, we've got all the gigs, and we've just got a lot of things happening during the New Year's Eve, right? So uh, I wrote back and saying that, okay, because of how soon it is, I, I quoted a sum which I thought was reasonable and after I worked it out it was really not that much money so um I was the, the gig was from one I think the first set was from 1 p.m to 1 30 p.m and then the second set was from 4 or 5 p.m to 5 30 p.m yeah, so it was two 30-minute set. But you can't see that as purely one hour of work because you have to be in the vicinity just because there's another show coming up. So it was like oh, one show from 1 to 1.30, one show to from 2 to 2.30, I think that would be 
much easier to sell, but there's this weird and awkward three hours bracket of time where what else can you do but to just like sit around and, and drink a cup of coffee, right? And just simply waiting for the next show to start again. So basically, I told them my idea instead of a, uh, they say a minimum four-piece group. So I said to them, okay, so we'll do a brass quintet simply because there's so much repertoire available. I have a huge library of brass quintet music and it's just much easier to, to organize a group like that. I said, five-piece group for X amount of money. Uh, the reply came back and they said that they do not have the necessary budget to work uh, with uh, the necessary budget to meet my asking quote. And then they slashed my asking price by two-thirds. Uh, <laughs> like I don't think it's even worth negotiating anymore because they're only paying me one-third of my asking price. So I, I gave it some thought. I'm like, you know, if it's one-third, is it really worth the, the hassle? And then they asked me again, right? Would it be cheaper if instead of five musicians, we have four musicians on the stage? And of course, part of me just kind of died. <laughs> and I I said to, I explained to, to the organizers that it doesn't work like that because if we have lesser musicians, then I'll have to then reinvest this money that for one musician to sheet music to other resources that is that I, I do not have to execute the performance. So I said, no, that it will not be cheaper if we, instead of five musicians, have four. And then I just said to them, look, I don't think this is going to work out. I, I, I did not openly say that it was because of uh, the price, but I also said how last minute it was and how difficult it is to get people to say yes one week ahead of time, which is all true because you can't, it's difficult, right, to just get people one week ahead or one week before New Year's Eve. And sometimes people don't want to work on New Year's Eve. Sometimes they, sometimes they just want to relax. After my initial rejection, I got a text from someone that is in a slightly higher position. And then uh, he said that he would like to chat with me on the phone and then see if they could work something out. So I had this phone conversation with him and then he was like, oh, we really want to, to work with you guys. We really want to make this work. You know, uh, do you think you can, like, how many musicians can you get? Do you think you can uh, do this? And then I just asked him the all-important question. is just like, right, now can you do me your best deal? What can you offer me to make it work? And then he said, we can probably increase it by $200. So that was like, that was it, right? And I was like, that was done. I, there was no way I could just take another $200. I mean, $200 divided by five, that's just like $50, no, $40 more for each of the musicians, which is really, really not enough. Uh, I just said like, okay, give me some time. Let me think about this, if you can work. And then he said, okay. And then over the entire evening, I, I received two texts from him. One of it saying that, oh, he's really hoping for a favorable reply. And then two hours later saying that, oh, if I have an update. So I was a little bit annoyed by then, by the constant sort of like pushing. So I said to him, no, it's not possible. It's not going to work. Uh, I then went on to give him, give him three recommendations on brush groups that could potentially take up this gig. And to my surprise, 
his reply to me was that, okay, thank you, but are these groups available to do the gig? And I'm like, how would I know? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not doing the gig. Isn't it your job to get in touch with them? Right, I'm giving you some context and some leads. And now I have to still find out for you whether or not these other groups are available. So I, 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 yeah, it just left a, a really kind of bad taste in my mouth. And after that, they hired one of the groups that I recommended, which is good. And I have absolutely no problem with that. And I'm happy that things worked out for them. But it's just such experiences just highlights to me that it's not important. And then if there are certain people that are just not the right type of clients that you are looking to work with, and looking back, I think I should have been clearer. I should have just told them that uh, the price point is a little bit uh, too out of the ballpark and there are other groups that are available to do the job and just end it off like that rather than going this uh, through this sort of like conversation with two people trying to and having let them try to think that they are able to convince me. I think we could just save a lot of time, each other's time and efforts if I outrightly just said no. And then now to the last point, defining what is better and better is not more accurate. Better is not faster. So to do better work is to do work that people can talk about, to do remarkable work. And that, is got, that has got nothing to do with being more accurate. And that has got nothing to do with being perfect. And that's got nothing to do with being faster or more efficient. Yeah, it simply means that your work needs to be reflective of who you are as a person and what you offer must be genuine. And most importantly, you have to deliver on what you promise. I think that in itself, the promise that you make to your client, if you keep that promise, you will already be better. So that should be the point. Yeah, keep the promise rather than think about all these other things that you think is better. So just one last thing to share with you from the course before we round up this week's episode. As shared by Seth in the course, it's hard to be proud of being a freelancer, especially if you have peers who are high flyers, are working as doctors or lawyers or in a high corporate position. Our culture has made it so that if you are a freelancer, it means that you just haven't figured out a way to get a full-time job. Being a freelancer is not about not having a boss to answer to. It's not about being the cheapest. It's also not about working harder to get better clients. But it is that we are in control of all aspects of our work and that we are doing it with our own 10 fingers or 8 fingers and 2 thumbs. I hope you find this episode interesting and you have some time on your hand. Why not have a look at what the Akimbo workshops have to offer? That might be something for you, you know, you never know. And now, thank you so much for staying with me throughout this episode and thank you so much for your attention. And with that, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. 
rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.